Wow. Well, that was a great, a great day. So thanks. Yes, let's echo uh, Mike's comments. Thanks to all who were involved in putting up tents and grabbing tables and presenting food and singing and face painting and bouncing. They wouldn't let me on the bouncy castle. <laughs> Not fair. Not fair. Um, so thanks to all who were involved, doing the stuff for the kids. Um, it was great. Uh, I think it would be good... Oh, so one thing about that. Apparently there's loads of salad left. Now that salad won't keep. So if you would like a light salad lunch impromptu here afterwards, then go that way. Where's it going to be? It's in the gym. If you, if you go through those doors, keep going, you come to another double doors and the big gymnasium. And if you like some salad... It will be set out for you after the service, if you can stay. And if there's a group of people who want to sort of chat about if they were there yesterday, what their impressions were, whether they enjoyed it or whatever, then that would be, that would be great. So um, thanks to all who were involved. Thanks to all who came. Now, I think it would be good if we just pause to pray for the Koikis and the Zwarts before we go on, because both these families um, have got big things going on in their lives. The Koike's daughter is pregnant and this little baby has lost his or her father and they've lost a son-in-law, she's lost a, a husband. It was an air crash, they were, it was a training flight, there were three people in the plane, uh, two students and one pilot, don't know what happened, they were all killed, they all have families. So let's pray for the Koike's and the Zwarts. Working in cross-cultural situation is very stressful culture shock, culture change, things that work differently, things that don't work, having to have education away from the family. This all takes its strain uh, and stresses and strains on the family and the Zwarts have been under stress and strain so that's why they're taking time out for counselling. There is a newsletter which should be coming round uh, email within a few days um, that, that sets this out. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the truths we've been singing about. Lord, your grace is so great. You love us despite what we're like. You're a great God and King. You're the mighty one. You're the one who came down as a man, Lord Jesus, and you lived and you died and you rose again for us. You dealt with our sin and we don't deserve that. So we want to say thank you that you're such a great God that we can celebrate this morning. Father, we just want to pause and pray for these two families in particular, the Koikis in their tragic loss. Lord, we can hardly imagine what it must be like for that young lady and her parents to have lost a husband, a son-in-law. Father, we just cry out to you that you will be all to them that they need at this time. We pray that your grace will just totally envelop them and take them through these days when there's the practical stuff of organizing a funeral and travel, when there's investigations to finding out what happened. And Lord, as they just face each day, may they know that they face it with you and that you are with them. Lord, they need a special extreme measure of your grace. Will you just touch them and provide them with the, the help and the grace and the comfort that they need? Lord, you claim to be the God who comforts and, and strengthens and provides for those who grieve. And we just ask you to do that in a very special way for the Koike family today and tomorrow and the next day and in the weeks and the months and the years that, head as, that lie ahead as their lives have been radically changed. Father, just touch that family. We pay for the Zwarts 
Lord, for mum and dad and the boys. Lord, as they all suffer the stress and strains of missionary life, working in a different culture. Lord, all the stuff that they've done, they've, they've seen, that they've been involved with. Lord, it's taken its toll because they're human beings. And we ask that as they have this time out to rebuild relationships, to, to receive counselling, support, uh, rest and relaxation, we pray that this will be a real time of renewal and refreshment for them. We pray that it will be a time for healing, Lord, in their lives, that they will just be able to face the future, whatever the future holds, with fresh strength, with fresh, fresh vision, and fresh, Lord, the fresh resources of your day for whatever they need each day. So be with the, the Zwarts, be with them, who, be with those who support them. And now, Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you'll speak to us. Lord, help us to, to understand what it is that you would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a visitor here this morning, you're especially, you're, you're welcome, just like everybody else. It's really good to see you um, this morning. Great to see you. Now, you probably saw, whether you're a visitor or a regular, you probably got one of these in your bulletin. If you haven't got these, it, one of these, it's slipped out and there's some in the foyer. It's a little bookmark to do with our school. And on one side it talks about the elementary school, and there's a photograph there. It looks as if those kids are enjoying themselves. We can't have that. Goodness me, where's the school principal? Kids enjoying themselves at school? Wasn't like that in my day, but there we are. And on the other side, it's preschool, and there they all are. They look pretty happy. Um, if you know any Christian families who might be interested in their kids receiving a Christian education at our school, give them this bookmark. The phone number's there for the school, and... Um, Read all about it. And I think there might be another bookmark coming out fairly soon for middle and high school. So, if you can use this to push this to somebody who you think might be interested, then please do. If you need more, there are some down the back. Okay, I should also say, for the point, for the sake of those of you who are visitors, um, our, the main man here, our senior pastor, he's not here today. Um, he's away at an ordination. It's a special service where they're commissioning someone to be a pastor in a church he used to be involved with. So he's been unable to be here today. So as far as the preaching is concerned, it's very much the B team today. So I'm sorry about that. Or C team. But we'll, you know, try not to leave before the end. Now... If you are doing the daily Bible reading, if you're a visitor, you think, what's all this daily Bible reading thing? We were set a task nearly two years ago to read through the whole Bible in two years, and there's a special Bible that helps us do it. And that's why we have a page number. If you're, so each day you read a little bit, and you probably get behind because life happens, but never mind, keep going, you're nearly there. We're nearly at the end of the second year. So that's what's that about. And a few weeks ago, in this daily Bible reading, we were looking at Job. And if we can have our title slide. Oh, click to advance the first slide. I better do that. Do as I'm told. Oh, there it is. There we are. First of all, decipher the title. What's that? Good Job, Job, Good Job, Job, Good Job. Good Job, Job. Yeah. Or subtitle. What on earth and elsewhere is going on? Now, if you don't know much about the book of Job, we will have a little, very brief um, resume of what happens. Um, but I want to read the first few verses of the book of Job. It's weird. 
Job is a weird book. And you'll probably go home scratching your head thinking, what on earth was all that about? Goodness me, I can't fathom. That, that, that doesn't make sense. If this, then what that? And there's no answers to all these questions. But there are things that we can learn that I think can be an encouragement and a challenge to us. I'm going to read the first few verses of the first chapter. In the land of Uz, oh, by the way, Job had three friends. One of them was the smallest man in the Bible. Do you know who, who that was? Bildad the Shuhite. Bildad the Shuhite, the smallest man in the whole of the Bible. Sorry about that. Right, his three friends weren't a lot of good. We'll see about that later. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. Must have been a smelly home. And had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, well, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. That was a big thing not to do. This was Job's regular custom. One day, this is where it gets strange, one day... The angels came to present themselves before the Lord. So we've left Job's home and we got up into the heavenlies, okay, on earth and elsewhere. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. How on earth does he do that? I don't know. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, "Mm, from roaming throughout the earth, going to and fro on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Huh. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You bless the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely... He will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Wow. What on earth can we gain from that and what follows? So where does it all start? Very clear, Job was a good and upright and righteous man. And then, how does Satan appear before God in the heavenlies? I don't know. I don't understand that. We're not privy to that information. But somehow, it's as if there's a conversation going on. By the way, some people say, yes, this Job is a literal man. These are literal events in time and history. We don't know when, maybe even before Abraham. This might be a story about the earliest things before Abraham came. Um, We don't know. Other people say, well, it's symbolic, it's a poem, it's to illustrate truths that's not real. It doesn't matter either way you want to take it. There's a lot of very specific content. It gives where he lives, the names of the people with him were, and all sorts of stuff that makes it sound literal. 
But whether it's literal or not, there are truths, things that we can get from it. So somehow, there's a conversation between God and the evil one. And then there's this challenge. Take away all that he has, and he will curse you. Now, I think it's a bit unfair of God, because God was the one who drew Satan's attention to Job. That's not fair, is it? It's God who's allowing Satan to get him in hot water, but he doesn't deserve it. That's weird. It's a mystery. But let's park that for a moment. By the way, I know Pastor John likes to take questions. Um, I'm too insecure to cope with questions. (laughs) Got to stick to the script. My other problem is my hearing is rubbish, and you'll probably have to say it about six times before I hear what you're saying. If you have a question, you might have to come up here and ask it. But I I don't mind questions, as long as you don't mind me saying I don't know the answer, because I probably don't. Um, So, here comes Satan. The challenge is on. It's hard on Job. God God is setting up Job for for a hard time. Um, So Satan says, yeah, well... He only serves you because of all you give him. Look, take that away. He's a fair weather Christian. You give him to have a hard time and he will curse you. And as if God said, okay, Satan, you want a challenge? We'll have a challenge. Fascinating. But then we move on. The story in a nutshell. So that's the first thing. This is the crux. This is this challenge. Job is going to curse God, according to Satan, because he he has a lot of suffering coming to him. He loses his family. He loses his property. He loses his health, which is what that says. He has these three friends who come along, and they're no good because they, they make the classic mistake of saying, ah, this is happening because you have sinned. You need to repent. And Job was an upright man. And Job kept on protesting his innocence, saying, no, I don't understand this. Thank you very much, but as far as I know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not hiding any terrible sin. Um, This is what you're saying is not right. They weren't a lot of help. There was a fourth guy who came along. We're not sure who he was or where he came from, a young guy, but he wasn't much... He doesn't come into it that much. But Job protests his innocence, and this goes on for chapter upon chapter upon chapter, and then God steps in. And God has one or two things to say to Job. Um, We'll come back to that later. God does have to straighten Job out. Perhaps I should back up and say that his friends, that third one there, they say, well, you're being punished for sin. Sometimes we can fall into that trap. All this has happened because I've sinned. God's punishing me. Now, if you do something stupid, like get drunk, and you go and crash your car, or worse, don't complain that God's punishing you. You're just reaping the consequences of your own actions. So don't get mixed up between unwise choices that we make, because that will land us in consequences which might not be very nice, and we can't run away from them. Don't blame God. Sometimes it's on us. But for Job... He hadn't got drunk and crashed his car. He hadn't been fiddling his tax returns. He was upright, he was good, and he protested his innocence. So God has to say a thing or two to Job, despite the fact that he hasn't totally got it wrong. God does have to say a thing or two to Job, and then he repents. Job repents of trying to tell God his job. 
because that was what Job had been saying. I don't understand this. I'm innocent. Um, you know, why is this happening to me? Very natural, we can understand him responding like that. Now, God says to Job, yeah, I know. You've spoken of me what is right, not like your friends. God affirmed Job, despite the fact that Job got his perspective mixed up and didn't understand, God still affirmed Job, say, you're okay, Job. Yeah, you got your, your perspectives mixed up, I'm not surprised. I don't mind that too much. You have not let me down. He affirmed Job, but not his friends. And this took a bit of grace. God tells Job, hey, go go pray for your friends, those guys that have been winding you up for the last few months or years. I want you to accept some offerings from them, and I want you to go and pray for them. I bet that took some grace. But Job went and prayed for his friends, and then Job's fortunes returned. He had more family around him. Weird, isn't it? But this is the, the story in a nutshell. But, coming back to the main question. Got that no, it's sort of shouting at you. No, he did not curse God. We'll see some verses in a minute. But this is the main thing of this story. Job did not curse God. Satan said, take away his health, take away his possessions, take away his family, he's going to curse you. He'll turn his back on you. Job did not do that. So who looked stupid at the end of it? He did. And who was vindicated? Yeah. Yahweh. God. That's the name of God. God was vindicated. No pictures of God. He's a spirit, I'm afraid, so I couldn't. But Yahweh, our God that we worship, was vindicated. Now, I want to sort of take a little bit of, is it poetic license or preacher's license? We've had the World Cup, Soccer World Cup recently. Anybody follow the Soccer World Cup? Oh, some, some, I see your hands. I'll pray for you afterwards. Good. Good. Um, now, America didn't even get to the finals. <laughs> England did. We got to the semi-finals. <laughs> and then we got knocked out. So, never mind. So, the World Cup. What do you have in any big competition like that? That's one of the games. I don't know who it is. And there's a field... The football pitch. It could be a baseball pitch. It could be a basketball pitch. It could be a softball pitch. It could be an American football pitch. I hope not. Um, And that pitch, that green pitch, is life. And there are the people on that pitch. That's you and me. That's Job. He's on that pitch because he's in life. The pitch... Oh, dear. Sorry about that. The pitch represents life. Now... Sometimes you, if you're playing soccer, you're kicking the ball, you're going towards the goal and everything's going fine. That's Job, with he's got all his family, his possessions, everything is going fine. Whoa, fantastic. But then, sometimes, somebody comes along and trips him up. Whoops! He takes a nosedive, he drops the ball nearly, he gets taken out. That's the things that happen to us in life, because we're on that pitch. You can't just wander around and nothing happens because there's other people, there's things going on that affect you for good or evil. Same with Job. So we are the people, Job is the person on the pitch. Then you've got the crowd. 
Now the crowd in any soccer match is usually made up of two groups, or any other match if you like, those who want one of the teams to win and those who want the other team. They're opposing. Now those are the angels, because they have watched Job, and what are they doing? They've got their arms in the air, they're shouting, they're screaming, go for it Job, good job Job, praise the Lord, because Job did not curse God. Okay? There's another group of fans. Who are they? Who are they? They're the other half of the audience, the demonic hordes that we don't know a lot about. But they're just covering their face. Now, any national flags there, there is no national, deliberate national, I don't know what it is, but that is just to illustrate the fact that when Job did not curse God and God said, you're doing okay, Job, the other lot, the demonic hordes, were thinking, oh no. We've, we've been fooled again. So this is an unbiblical illustration. But it can teach us, I believe it can help us to understand, and it can be an encouragement to us. So one group of spectators of life, of us, are the angels, God's holy angels who are praising him. The other group are the fallen angels, the ones that are opposing all that God is doing. And in this instance, serves them right. But let's drop in on a few of Job's experiences. Go back through his suffering. Here's a good one. This is quite near the beginning. This is near when it first started. At this, in other words, sudden tragedy, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship. Here is Job going through serious stuff. He falls to the ground in worship. Don't think you can't worship God when life is getting at you. Okay? We can. God does not shut us out. God does not say, come back when you sorted yourself out. Here is Job in the midst of it, despair, and he falls down in worship. And what does he say? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord has given the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And what are the angels doing? Hooray! And what are the demonic hordes doing? Oh no. Who's being glorified? God. Because, I, because Job is able to go through all this and say, May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now that's fantastic. Is that not, can that not be an encouragement that when we go through it, there is a way through that means we can still worship God? We can be ourselves, complete with our desperation, complete with not understanding, complete with saying, I wish I'd never been born, which is what Job said, literally. He can still fall down and worship God. Wow. What a guy. What a God. Another glimpse. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. The the whole crux of this is whether somebody's going to curse God, turn their back on God, say, God, I don't want you anymore. You've got it wrong. You messed me up. I don't trust you. And here is his wife. Sorry, guys. This is not a proof text for you to ignore your wife. No, no. Don't use this as a proof text. Say, well, the Bible says I should ignore my wife. Because he ignored his wife. He did not take his wife's advice. But 
somehow she knew that this cursing God thing was big. And I do wonder whether it was not that she was angry with him and said, oh, get him out of my sight. But maybe she was just feeling, this poor guy, I, I can't bear to see him suffer. Oh God, for goodness sake, take him. Job, just take the shortcut, just curse God, he'll strike you down, you'll be better off out of it. Don't worry, I'll be okay. I wonder whether it was out of pity that she was saying this. Job, you can't take any more of this. Just, he will understand, you'll go to God, you'll be okay, don't worry about me, I'll, I'll be okay without you. I wonder whether that was what was in her heart. She couldn't bear to see his suffering. I don't know. But, very well-meaning, but if Job had taken her advice and he had cursed God, who would then be cheering the other lot? And who would be burying their faces in their hands and saying, oh no, the angels. Remember, this is not literal, biblical, this is just a way of understanding things. Okay, It's not heresy, it's just an illustration. Another one, I like these. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't care what God, what happens in my life, I will trust God. What an affirmation. And if he can say that in what he's going through, is that not perhaps an encouragement that we can in what we go through? The second one is him speaking to his friends. I will never admit that you're right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. Because if he had given in to his friends who were saying, you're a sinner, Job, you've committed some serious, really serious sin, you need to repent and go to God. If Job had done that, it wouldn't have been true. It would have been false for Job because he knew in his heart that, that was not where it was at. So he needed to not listen to his wife and he needed to not listen to his three friends at this time. He was a bit on his own, wasn't he? But in extreme circumstances, we see his extreme dedication. But then, there's another verse actually before we get to this one, um, which I don't think I got in here. Uh, there's a verse where it says, I know that my Redeemer liveth and he will stand on the earth. What does that sound like? Who's going to come and stand on the earth in the future? My Redeemer, his Redeemer, Jesus. There was almost somehow he got some messianic insight. I know that my Redeemer liveth, the authorised version. And he will stand on the earth. It's almost as if he got some glimpse into the future that God was going to come to earth and he was his Redeemer. Wow! This was before the Ten Commandments were given. This was before Abraham. There was nothing set down, but there was a presence of God on this earth in people's lives. Wow! Fantastic! But this one here, this is towards the end when God steps in and there's a storm and the Lord spoke to Job, uh, Job out of the storm. Oh, I love this. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? In other words, a lot of stuff coming out of your mouth, but there's not a lot of wisdom in it. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Stand up, Job. Come here. I've got something to say to you. I want some answers. You know, you're being called into the boss's office and you're sort of wading through the carpet that's about six foot deep and there's the boss sitting in the desk and you know you're gonna, he's going to let rip. Or the head teacher, the principal at school or whoever it might be, the judge, you know he's going to say something to you and 
he's saying to Job, stand up like a man. I want to talk to you. You better come up with some answers, Job. But it's not out of hate or anger. It's out of compassion. Job, I want you to understand a little bit more. You will never understand everything this side of the grave. But I want some answers. I want to talk to you. And so he goes on. Just imagine what Job must have felt like. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Where were you, Job? Come on, tell me. You've been the one telling me my job. Just give me some of this wisdom that you think you've got. Who marked off its dimensions? Oh, surely you know. Sounds a bit sarcastic. Here's God being losing a bit of sarcasm to Job. That's okay. It was life-giving, not death-promoting. Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted with joy? Job, you just need to step back and think a little bit. Just where were you? Do- what were you doing when I was doing all this stuff? Now, in the parlance of the boss, Pastor John, I want a little sidebar here which is not in the main story, but it comes from that verse, that last bit there. While the morning... Here's God doing creation. And what are the morning stars doing? What's the creation doing? It's singing. And what are those angels doing? They're shouting for joy. There's something in the DNA of God's creation which is noisy, joyful, exuberant, celebratory. Noise. Delight. Recklessness in terms of of celebration. You can see the picture of the angels there. They're really letting it rip. Because there is God at work and God saw and it was good. Yay, go the angels. You see, there's something about this creation which is based on celebration, on joy. Not religion, but life. I came, said Jesus, that you might have life and all its fullness. So where God is at work, In creation and redemption, there is joy. There is celebration. What is there, according to the Bible, in heaven over one sinner who repents? A meeting? Oh, he's in. Let's interview him. An eyebrow raised? Oh, really? Didn't think he'd make it. Um, A tick in a book? Where's his? No, yeah, she's in. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 who don't need to repent. And there's Jesus making a point because everybody needs to repent. There is joy in heaven. Folks, we need to get plugged into this because this is the DNA of being a Christian. It is joy. It is life. It is freedom. It is release. Now, is that reflected in our take on being a Christian? Or is our life sometimes more like a set of dead rules, of guilt, restrictions, legalism, negativism? Because if that's where we're at, then friends, I think we're missing something. I love the way that this is reflected in our worship. Some people say, oh, I don't like all these noisy new songs. Why not? There's going to be noise in heaven, we just heard it. The angels are shouting and the whole creation is singing. There's going to be a celebration and we're part of that. And the way that our music plays reflects that in some way. By the way, worship team, I'm really sorry, but when I applaud after a song, I'm not applauding you. 
Let's get this straight. I'm not applauding that you're doing a good job, worship team. But I'm not clapping you. I'm clapping the one we're singing about. And it's okay to clap for God because he's done so many great things. It's part of that celebration. If the angels are shouting and if the morning stars are singing, then we can be clapping and waving our arms in the air. I don't want any of these fancy churches where people raise their arms. Why not? <laughs> Yay, what do you do when your team scores a goal? Yeah! What do you do when Jesus rises from the dead? Yeah! What do the other lot do? Oh no, I'm not going to Harmony Baptist again. I can't stand it. There's too much joy there. Wow. My son sometimes, I'm a bit slow with things, and my son sometimes says, Dad, get with the program. (laughs) And maybe sometimes we need to look at verses like this and think, hmm, okay, get with the program. Get with the program. Superficial, pharisaic rules, no. Life, celebration, joy, peace, salvation, forgiveness, eternity. Yes, we can so easily miss out. So, some glimpses from Job a bit more. God called Job to order. He had a word to say, he had some words to say. He adjusted his perspective, but he also said, You have spoken right of me. Yes, he did have to adjust his perspective. It's no wonder Job got things wrong, because here is Job, boils all over his skin, no family. No possessions, nothing. And of course he's going to get depressed. Of course he's going to question. Of course he's going to protest his innocence. And God has to just adjust that perspective. But he didn't humiliate him. He affirmed Job's integrity and perseverance. And that's so vital. Yeah, God needs to talk to us a little bit, but he's not going to grind us into the dust. Some more glimpses. Well, the big picture, if you like. So I want us to take, one of the things I want us to take away from this this morning is this question of the big picture. There is what is going on on earth, which we see and live in day by day, the field, but then there is what is going on in the unseen heavenly realms that we cannot fully understand and we only get a glimpse now and again. Job had no idea of the challenge that had been set in the heavenlies by Satan to God. He had no idea. All he knew was he started losing stuff and his health went and his family went and his possessions went. He didn't know what was going on in the heavenlies. There's nothing at all that suggests that he knew about this challenge. But God knew his heart. And both these realms are real. They were then. They are now. They're both real and they always will be. So What can we get from all this? Well, I've missed something out that I wanted to say. There's a song that we sing about a guy who refuses stuff. And Job refused a few things, and I missed it out. I want to go back. I have one sheet for each, and it's gone. Oh, well, never mind. Too many bits of paper. I'm not like Pastor Tim who just wanders around with one piece of paper and that, you know, I'm a, he sort of wanders around and he sort of thinks, when is he going to drop his Bible? Has he really got any notes? Um, I'm not like that. Here we are. Here we are. What can we get from all this? Well, here is a man in terrible circumstances. He fell down and worshipped God. He refused a whole lot of things. He refused to turn his back and curse God. 
He refused to blame God. He refused to compromise his integrity. He refused to believe the lies that his friends were throwing at him. He refused to play the victim and he refused to give up though he felt like it. If a guy is saying, I wish I'd never be born, which he did, then he's really reached rock bottom. But he refused to deny his integrity. He said some desperate things, understandable in the circumstances. But he refused to deny his integrity. He refused to curse God. Great guy. And God commended him for that. So what do we get from all this? Let's do some refusing in our lives. Let's do some holy refusing when things get tough. But this is a mystery. And part of, this is part of what we get from this. This whole story of Job is a mystery. doesn't mean there's no meaning. doesn't mean that we can't learn from it. We can. But there's still that element of mystery. How on earth does this work? How does Satan come into the presence of God? How does Job suddenly get twice what he had before? But even if he had twice from what he had before, it doesn't make up for what he's lost. You know, you might have more family, but that doesn't detract from the fact that you lost family. That would never leave him. It's a mystery. But this next one echoes something that Pastor John said last week. Your life matters. You are not just an insignificant speck on this creation that's just happened by accident. Your life matters. Job's life mattered. What he did mattered. What he did or didn't say, his mindset mattered. Who we are and how we are matters. As with Job, my life can count for God's glory. This is what it's all about. The cheering and the, 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 the celebration of those angels and in the heavenly realms can reflect, can give glory to God. But in some way, in some way, we can affect how that happens. Don't ask me how. Um, but in some way, the way we respond to things can give glory to God or not. Remember that picture again. Who's cheering on our life? And when we go through suffering, it may tempt me to turn my back on God, but I still can keep my integrity. Yes, that doesn't mean I think, oh, okay, I've got to be victorious, smile, everything's okay. Yes, my life's just falling apart. It's not talking about being false or pretending that stuff's not happening, that is happening. It's a question of saying, yeah, my life's falling apart, but my feet are, sound, are firmly planted on the word of God and on Jesus Christ, who is my saviour. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now, it's amazing, having had a picnic yesterday, you get an opportunity to chat to people, don't you? Perhaps people you've never met before, perhaps people you know a little bit. And you find out things. And I'm just thinking of one or two of the conversations that I had with one or two people yesterday, and Karen and I were sharing this with one or two conversations she had yesterday. You come across people who are not going through what Job went through, but who are going through heavy stuff. We've been through heavy stuff. Many of you have been through heavy stuff. Some of you are. Maybe some of us will do. I hope not, but maybe we will. And it's then that when it comes to the crunch, what are we going to do? Are we going to be like Job? Or are we going to allow the other side to do the cheering? My life, my reactions, they count for good or evil. They count for God. So as we close, I'd like us to 
see what we can get from all this a bit more. Now, that's one that we sometimes get caught up on. Oh dear, I'm being punished. Yeah? Ever, ever thought that? Well, what is your punishment for doing wrong? Death. Are you dead? No, you're dead to sin. Because your punishment's been paid. It's gone. It's finished. And when God forgave you, did he only forgive you up to the time you made your commitment to him? He saw your whole life from beginning to end and forgave the whole lot. That's how we're to forgive one another. Ooh. Your sin is gone. It's dealt with. It's not around anymore. The power of it is gone. So pain or loss are not a sign of God's displeasure or punishment. But there is the consequences clause. But if you're doing something stupid, you'll probably suffer the consequences. But don't blame God. Okay? I may feel pretty desperate and I may say things like that. Put it into modern parlance. I might even think of self-harm. I might even, you know, do something really stupid. Uh, God understands that. But don't stay there. Move on. Grab hold of God. Maybe he'll grab hold of you. But grab hold of God. Because he's got a future for you. He will maybe say, okay, stand up. I want to talk to you. Got a few things I want to get straight with you. And that's good. Help. Perhaps you need help with somebody else. And of course, we may suffer loss in this life. But ultimately, God is sovereign. Who set the limits to what Job could suffer? It wasn't Satan. It was God. Whatever we may suffer, God doesn't send illness, disaster. He didn't plan for the Koikis to have that plane accident. God is not sitting up there wheeling out tragedy, loss, sickness, breakdown, accident. He's not like that. But this is a fallen world and it happens. And sometimes you say, God, I wish you wouldn't allow it to happen. But he does in his wisdom. But one day he's going to sort it all out. One day evil will end and you and I will get a, more, a bigger picture of the partial picture. Job will get a bigger picture of what was going on. I wonder what it would feel like to be Job when God took him aside in heaven. You know, Job, you know the stuff you went through. Oh, you've forgotten about it. Well, let me remind you, you were desperate. You lost your family. You lost everything. Do you know that my reputation was, was, was on the line when you did that? If you curse God... I would have looked stupid. Did you know that, Job? But, Job, you didn't. Well done. Good job, Job. The angels were singing because of how you responded. Now, I'm not saying that there's a direct challenge in heaven about you and me in such a direct, immediate, phenomenal way. But what I am saying is that how we react to things can have an impact in this world and in some way that I don't understand in the heavenly realms as well. But ultimately, God is sovereign and evil will end. So, last question, and then we're done. Hmm. What about our lives? Who's cheering? And we probably say, oh, well, ooh, ah, it's probably a bit of both because sometimes I do okay, sometimes I don't. Okay, God knows that. But maybe this is something we can really focus on. The things I do this week... I want the angels to be cheering. I don't want the other lot. I don't want to give reason for the other lot. Knowing this is all sort of an illustration, not literal truth. I don't want to give cause for the demonic hordes to be cheering and jeering at God. I want to give grounds for the angels to be cheering and praising God. And I want to praise God. 
If, all, if you come in this morning and you're new to all this, you think, what on earth is this church thing that I've come into? And if you're a visitor or you haven't hit Christianity in this way before, this is not church as I knew it, fine. Maybe this has given you a flavour of what we believe. We are a mainstream church. In other words, we're not a sect, we're not a cult, we don't do weird stuff. We, we worship God, we praise him, we seek to serve him, we believe that we need to be forgiven because we've all done wrong. If you're perfect, then... Come and tell me how to run the church, please, because I need to know if you're perfect. Um, or the boss, Pastor John. You're not perfect. You need to be forgiven because you've done wrong. You have offended a holy God. But God's not going to rub your nose in the dirt. He actually sent someone to sort it out because you and I can't. He sent his son, Jesus, who died on a cross. Normal historical stuff you've heard of. And when he did that, he did that for you and for me because we need to be forgiven and we couldn't deal with evil ourselves. And he asked you to come and just say, I need forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me. Lord, I want you to fill this gap in my life that I know I've got. It's gnawing away at me and I want to know peace with God. You can know that. Come and have a word with me or one or two of our other leaders who will be hanging out around here afterwards. This is what the Christian gospel is about. You can hear it in many churches. If you're in this church, you're welcome to stay, to, to talk, to pray. Okay, who's cheering when they see my life? I hope it's the angels. Let's stand and pray together. Lord, we don't understand the, the story of Job. How could you, as it were set Job up to be suffering like this because you allowed it you drew attention of Satan to how holy Job was Lord that's frightening we don't want you to do that with us but Lord we do trust you and we thank you for Job's response thank you that his ultimate reaction was he would not deny his integrity he would not curse God he would not turn his back on his redeemer Lord we want that to be true of us but we confess this morning that we need your help. Forgive us, Lord, when we get it wrong. Lord, if you need to take us aside and have a chat with us, then that's fine if you need to straighten us out. But Lord, help us, the way we live our lives this week, to be glorifying you, to be giving your angels reason to cheer and to shout and to celebrate. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you are Lord. And Lord, we just commit ourselves into your hands right now. We pray that we might walk in fellowship with you and one another for the rest of this day and for this week. So be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You are dismissed. If you want a light salad lunch, head that way in a few minutes. <laughs>